The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The learning is today, hopefully, something that we're all contributing to, right? So Gabe and I are just jumping us off, and then you'll explore more in small groups and share back, and the collective learning will just grow throughout the day. So this topic, Skillful Means Using Buddhist and Western Psychology in the Service of Liberation from Suffering. And we might think of skillful means as like everything. All of it is a skillful means to understand something about how we might experience more relief in our lives and how we might get a taste of the deepest freedom that we can experience too. And so the Buddha, at the heart of the Buddha's teachings, is this is an understanding of dukkha, or lots of ways we can describe dukkha, that felt sense of pain or distress or tension or stress or suffering, lots of ways to describe that. And his interest with it was in helping us get close to it. What is this? How do we know this? Right? How do we understand it? Where does it? Where do we feel it? So, uh, dukkha is something that we can understand because we're close to it, right? And so, the statement that the Buddha made really is that this is stress. This felt sense is whatever we feel in the heart and this and body in this moment is something that we can um, experience. And because we learn to experience, we learn we learn to work with it. And we might, we might know how to work with it because we feel it right here in the body or mind. Right. And another way that we might talk about body and mind is talking about our nervous system. So we get to know our pain through our, through our relationship to our nervous system as well. And so getting to know our pain isn't something special like Um, And I'm using that word, getting to know our pain, so that it resonates with us in terms of an emotional emotional resonance, right? And it broadens the capacity of what we might um, explore as Dharma practice. What is the full scope of Dharma practice? It includes mind training and what we might understand about change and impermanence and what the Buddha meant by this word dukkha. But it also includes our emotional and our psychological pain, right? And our, the wounds that we carry with us through generations, through our ancestry and our familial lines and our personal conditioning and our, uh, what we might understand our own experiences through the collective, through the collective reckonings that we're all a part of, right? through climate change and racial injustice and so much more. So getting to know our nervous systems, getting to know this is dukkha, right, as the pain that expresses itself through our very sensitive hearts and minds, bodies, our nervous systems. And so we get to know ourselves through the physicality of, which is why I like the word nervous system. Some of my colleagues, my teaching colleagues, uh, will often use the word nervous system in place of mind, right, or in place of heart because it points to that physicality and 
and I think broadens the scope of what we might call Dharma practice a little bit. So you might hear me doing that a little bit today. And how we understand pain, and we might say trauma, right, brings us back to the physicality of our systems here. And so in in Dharma practice, we learn how to train the mind so that we can feel a more regulated capacity throughout our lives, right? That's one thing that we do. Like, how do we experience more calm or spaciousness? Although that doesn't have to be the end goal. Like, Dharma practice can be lots of, most of our moments of Dharma practice are when we're not calm or don't feel spacious, and how do we work with that, right? But one of the things that we're doing is, like, um, finding ways for the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system to communicate and to uh, work together more skillfully. And so if we just learn how to, if we just force our way to what we think Dharma practice is, controlling the mind, you know, we might think that's what it's about, finding, forcing our way to calm, forcing our way into the body, we can actually do more harm than good in those moments, right? Because if we haven't really reckoned with our pain, you know, and it just manifests in memories and thoughts that get carried away. And we then we put this extra pressure on ourselves to be calm and to be good and to only feel gratitude and patience and strength, then it's, it's kind of a mess for us, right? Because that force actually doesn't do what we want it to do. The force actually causes more of a divide than a coming together. Mm-hmm. And so we've got these two nervous systems, or this one nervous system that has two expressions. One is to support us in resting, digesting our food, resting, um, all the ways that we kind of feel settled. And this other part of our nervous system supports us in uh, increasing our energy when we need to and you know, has the fight or flight response that we probably all know about. And so when we think about all of the, if we broaden the expression of trauma, right, to include all of these moments when the body and mind learn something together and respond to life in a particular way, right? And that memory, those memories stick with us. Mind habits, we call them, right? There's all of the habits of our minds and hearts to protect ourselves, all the deluded ways in which our minds and hearts protect ourselves, like denial and blame and, you know, all of these ways that we come to know through our Dharma practice. And also the ways that our body hold on to experiences that we've had, right? And so anxiety is a, is a natural expression of this for me and for many of us, that our bodies learn how to live in, with all of the sensitivity in, in the world that it never stops the pace that's harsh and the sounds that are harsh and the people that are harsh, including us. And so anxiety is this kind of perfect coming together of protectiveness of body and mind, right? The mind that starts thinking, 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 you know, to in order to get ready to protect ourselves and the body that braces and clamps down and um, all of the energies that flow through in a single moment. So we often want to help settle that, and that's good skill to have to settle that. 
body from doing what it does. But we want to think of the body as both a, a, a deep resource for us in learning how to settle ourselves, but also an expression of, of a, you know, my, one of my teachers would always say, the body's a really slow learner, right? So what we might understand intellectually, the body will take a really long time to get, right? So something will activate us and the body will act, act that out, right? And then immediately we want to get away from that pain or that physicality. And so we, we do something to jump out of it, right? We start thinking about it or analyzing it. And then in that analysis, the, it just kind of intensifies that sense of uh, that, that wound that's being expressed right there. So we want to learn how to re-inhabit our bodies so that, we're, so that we have some resource there. The physicality can be a deep resource if we can learn through the Buddhist teachings to get close to it. But if we force it, we just activate that pattern. Right? We force our way into the body, we get triggered by something, and now our minds are going and going and going, and we think that we need to stay out of the body, but what we're really feeling is all of that whipping up of mind, memories, you know, we're rehearsing, we're evaluating, we're remembering, we're just trying to deal with our pain in the only way that we know how, which is conceptually. Right? So we learn how to be in our bodies in slow and gradual ways, with a lot of honor for all of the history that it expresses itself here, right? And the body that is a naturally slow learner. Yeah. Not if you're, if you're, if this sounds all right to you. Yeah, cool. So one of the cautions of meditation is also, one of the cautions around meditating when we're feeling these deep wounds in our that all of us will have, right? Well, something will hurt us and we'll remember it along there's like when I was 15 or 16, I was coming back from a basketball tournament. My coach was driving a few of us in his car and we got in a car accident. It wasn't a very serious car accident, but it was several car car accident. And we were, uh, somebody hit us, we hit someone, someone hit someone else, right? It was all of this. And I still like on a, I was just driving the other day and um, there was a kind of a, hurried stop on the freeway. Nobody got hurt, no car accident. But in my mind, there was an immediate remembering of that car, car accident when I was 15 or whenever, right? It's just like that. And the whole system is activated in a single moment. So those, those things, even if the traumas aren't, you know, what we might consider big T trauma, we might, we might just consider these, all these ways that human beings uh, are impacted by our world and our lives again and again and again. So one of the cautions is meditators, we tend to uh, want to overlook the ordinary, the ordinary uh, moments of our lives because we're wanting to get to something more spiritual than that. Right? And so just this encouragement to include all of our, uh, our whole lives in service of our spiritual, uh, spiritual deepening in the ways that we come to understand our lives in the deepest sense of the word. One of, uh, there's a psychologist, John Wellwood, who coined a, a phrase, spiritual bypass, 
many, many years ago. You know that word? Most of you probably do, yeah. And it's just this, uh, just what I mentioned, he, he's pointing to this inclination to skip over something in order to get to something that we think is a better is a better experience, right? To get to something more spiritual. Mm-hmm. So spiritual bypass is skipping over the ordinary, not learning our nervous systems well enough, not reckoning with our physical and emotional pain to the um, nth degree. Yeah, And actually our spiritual practice calls us to do all that. Somebody I've enjoyed learning from um, in recent years is Gabor Mate, you know Gabor Mate, yeah. In his work, he's um, a therapist. He's done a lot of work around. Uh, is he a neuropsychologist? I actually don't know what his training is now. He's a yeah. He's an MD. That's right. He's an MD. Yeah, and he's he's mostly his research has mostly been around trauma and addiction. So he's explored the connections between addiction and physical disease, and um, He's very kind, and he's really explored through his own traumatic experiences in his life, right? And so one of the things that, you know, he's always, I've learned from him, is just this intersection between, like, physical health and emotional health and our willingness to connect with our deepest wounds to reckon with our own pain. And there's been a lot of research in this territory, too, that um, our... uh, early childhood wounds express themselves in um, addiction and in mental health challenges, but also in uh, autoimmune diseases and things like cancer and other disease. That's not, and we don't like need that to scare us, but just to kind of point us in the direction of how Oh, spiritual practice is a way of including all of who we are and all of um, our experiences so that we can strengthen the capacity to be healthy in all ways. Right? And learning to what we might call meditation is one way of learning to retrain our physical nervous systems, our brain and our spinal cord and all the ways that they, just one component of that, right? But there are probably many, like um, nice, good sleep hygiene and learning little tools to get movement, like pacing has been a real important... I never knew, like when I was a kid, I used to pace while I talked on the phone and I thought I just had an aversion to talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. And it probably was true that I did, but that pacing actually just helped regulate the nervous system. Right? It's a nice little tool. So our routines, our exercise routines. Because what happens in the absence of that is that our nervous system look for ways to regulate. And they look to it, uh, our nervous systems will look, look to build a bridge between that restfulness and the activation, right? By doing weird things, like um, just by doing all the things that we might call unskillful behaviors, right? Like... I know to fill this void right now or to learn how to build a bridge, I'm going to eat a ton of food, right? And then we feel bad about it, but we don't see, oh, this is our nervous system just trying to find some ground again, right? Or looking to, I'm going to drink a lot right now. I'm going to drink some alcohol. That's just the nervous system's way of trying to build a bridge again. So meditation is one way that we can help 
that regulation help build that bridge so that we can naturally, our nervous systems naturally go between that restfulness and they don't get stuck in states of activation. So I think I'll just stop there. Yeah. Hope there was something useful in that. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.